0: Good morning, everyone. It's nice to see all of you. Last week I gave an overview of the millennium. I didn't think that four hours later I would wish I was in it. So, thank you for being patient with me last week we're going to get started today. Our, our topic today is uh, Eschatology 2. Um, we seem to be buried in that lately, and that's good. Um, it's a third of our Bible, so we'll, we'll look at this uh, briefly and um, then I, I think this one we will not know there's no possible way we'll get through module 6 session 3 today we'll do as much as we can because we're talking about an overview, rapture and tribulation and uh, so we'll, we'll take at least two weeks to get through that maybe one of them will happen uh, before then uh, hopefully in the correct order uh, hopefully I'm not correcting my, my theology as we go Let's pray together and thank the Lord for the day. Our Father, what a joy it is to gather today and to be with one another, to be with your people. How joyous it is, Lord, to know that every Lord's Day we may gather together. And we may uh, really have just a little taste of heaven as we get away from the world, as we think on things above, as we gather with people who love you and who love your gospel and who love your Son. And I pray that this day, Lord, that there might even be one or two here that hear the gospel and would respond and would come to faith in Christ. Lord, we would love to be a gateway um, for salvation. And we pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So as we uh, turn our minds again to the things of the end, I have a reason for uh, this particular fun little slide. Um, first of all, I like it. You can see here's the great tribulation finishing up. Uh, here is uh, the Lord returning. Uh, all these things, there, there's the sun being blotted out. That's not the eye of, uh, of uh, Mordor. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> this picture was made before the movies came out Uh, there's there's an angel and so forth so so uh, but I, I do this just to sort of a little fun poke, because um, we who are dispensational are accused of being crazy. Um, on social media, I was called a heretic this week for the first time, because we believe in this. Um, and so I had a fun, I actually met my first full preterist, who believes that Christ returned 2,000 years ago. And I, I just asked him one question. Where is he you know, and of course it 's invisibly and invisible and all that, so it gets into a lot of uh, but, but uh, they don 't use intellectual arguments they use, um, they use a five or six proof texts that they keep throwing at you, and you can 't that 's not how you prove anything, um, but this particular man 's very interesting. We actually ended up corresponding offline and I, I appreciated that. Um, because I told them, I've got to get your views. I've got to uh, quote somebody. I've never met a full preterist. I thought they were only in in history books. Because there's about four of you. Um, <laughs> some of you believe that the Book of Revelation has already been been happened uh, already happened, and so forth. But um, but I put this picture up because uh, we are we are often made fun of, to be honest with you. Um, there's a, we, we want to believe what is correct. We never want to be arrogant about it and jam it down other people's throats and say, you're, you're a horrible person because you believe this. And I bring this up because um, I, I would caution any believer before you use, and, I, and it doesn't hurt my feelings because I don't know, know these people, but when you say somebody is not a believer, that's what you're saying when you say they're a heretic. They're saying they don't know the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior and they're going to hell when they die. So somebody who has a different eschatological view than you, that doesn't make them a heretic. Um, we're brothers and sisters first. Um, however, the pursuit of the truth is is always something that can be done um, and it should be able to be done agreeably. So it's okay to disagree, as one of my professors used to say, just disagree uh, agreeably and and be kind and and state your case make your argument that's why social media is the worst place in the world to argue theology because you get 140 characters or whatever it is now that's not even enough time to to write your opening statement Um, theological arguments take time they take work Um, so that's my fun little jab yeah we are a little bit crazy because we believe that this is what the Bible says um, is going to happen Um, I asked him also what about the every eye shall behold him part and what about the uh, as far as the uh, like lightning from the east to the west, uh, so shall the Son of the man, the uh, coming of the son of the man be, um, and they all have answers for that. they just say all prophecies fulfilled, period, all prophecies fulfilled period um, I, not only being in error that 's also very boring to me um, <clears throat> so uh, lest we believe that the kingdom is now, uh, we will go through these things so what we 're going to start with is. Just kind of an overview of, of future events, and this is not something arrived at lightly. Um, this is this is something that is uh, the the result of years of my own study and really just looking at what the Bible says and this is um, particularly meaningful to me because I first made a chart of overview of uh, future events when I was in the 17, 18 year old range Um, and I didn't have any resources except my Bible and a notebook. Those are those things for you younger people that you write in. I just read the book of Daniel, I read all the minor prophets, I read the book of Revelation, I was obsessed with it, and I made this order of events, and then uh, I ended up in college uh, attending and my very first Sunday at a Bible church, I'd never been to one of those before, and uh, his sermon was, uh, uh, what is dispensationalism? And I'd never heard that word before. And he says, let me show you an overview of future events. And that helps us understand dispensationalism. And my jaw was on the ground because I, was, I, I, I could go back and look at my notebook. That's what I believe. Because that's what the Bible says. Now, that's not to say that because Steve Swartz found that in the Bible, that makes it true. But that's what happened in my case, and I'm I'm really thankful for that. So, um, we're starting with a broad overview. And one of the things I think it's important, especially in eschatology, is uh, this is a great time, a great opportunity to... Um, I, is it like 400 degrees in here or is it just me? Yeah, cool. just oh, whoever's closest to <laughs> <laughs> whoever's closest to the heater might might check the thermostat. Um, so one of the things that eschatology provides and this is I, I'm taking my time this morning There is something about this particular area of theology that just brings out the worst in people. And I'm not sure why that is exactly. But this is a wonderful opportunity to put your pride on the shelf. um, Because just because you believe it doesn't make it true. Just because I believe it doesn't make it true. That's why why biblical argumentation is so important. That's why arguing your case from scripture, which as we've said a hundred times before, is not just throwing a Bible verse uh, with one surface singular meaning and saying this is this proves my whole point um, that happens on occasion not very often uh, so this is a great opportunity as we always say in our Grace Connect classes to, to newer members to be learners to be disciples to assume that you don't have it all together um, that you don't have the full story um, I the first time I learned anything about eschatology I was 13 years old the first time I was introduced to the topic the last time I learned anything about eschatology was yesterday so we're always learners we're always growing and if you if you're if the concrete on your eschatology gets hard too fast then it does emotionally and spiritually feel like somebody is sledgehammering that away and that's what needs to happen you've got to have a a firm foundation but uh keep the keep the concrete a little bit wet and and let it set over time as you see other views um I, I think this is very important for us. And this is a great way to uh, kind of test your own sanctification. Uh, we never want to be the, the known as the church that is is arrogant or that is is just um, all about being right and so forth. Um, we want to be the church that's about Christ and about the gospel and about sound doctrine. And we arrive at sound doctrine through theology. And we haven't talked about that in a long time. Theology is something you do in order to arrive at... Doctrine. The doctrine is the hardened concrete. That's those are the conclusions of doing theology, the study of God, study of God's things. Mm -hmm. So, with that in mind, for with our own humility and our um, our hearts in the right place. Overview of future events. The next thing to happen: the rapture and resurrection of the church saints first thessalonians four thirteen through eighteen um, and there, there are two other major major ver- uh, sections in the New Testament on the rapture and resurrection, uh, which we 'll get to as we go. Um, this is the first event in everything that 's coming up. The first event uh, is the rapture. The Lord will return from heaven. He will suddenly and supernaturally remove the church, and those believers who have died um, during this era, during the church age, they will experience bodily resurrection and have their souls united with their bodies. Um, now, just to, just, I, I think one area that dispensationalists sometimes get accused, and, and I think sometimes rightly, uh, especially uh, if you're if you've been around long enough. To remember uh, Hal Lindsay's The late great planet Earth In that whole era um, Theology is actually pretty good um, It's just the way you went about it And reading the newspaper And saying this is what's happening here and here um, <clears throat> There are no That I'm aware of There are no scriptural signs um, That we're looking for before the rapture It's just the next thing that happens now, every generation of Christians has has generally said, the world is so bad now, it must be happening in my generation. And lo and behold, when you think things can't get worse, the next generation they do. So, uh, so there's nothing we look for in, in the newspaper um, to say, oh, look, this lines up with Revelation 15. We, we don't do that. Um, that, that doesn't fit uh, with what Scripture would have us to do. And there's no, by the way, there's no admonition in Scripture to do that. The admonitions by Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25 to look for these signs. This is speaking to tribulation saints. And we'll, we'll get to that in a while because we won't be here when that, those happen. The next thing that happens, the judgment seat of Christ. And this is in, in mild order. The, the next two, judgment seat of Christ and the marriage of the Lamb, uh, these are... These are debatable, not as to whether they happened, but you can move them around uh, chronologically just a little bit with some leeway, in in my opinion. The judgment seat of Christ, 1 Corinthians 3, uh, 2 Corinthians 5, following the rapture of the church, the judgment seat of Christ will take place in heaven. Um, This is sometimes called the Bema Seat Judgment, B-E-M-A. The judgment evaluates the quality of the works of all the church saints. The works that are good and acceptable to Christ are going to be rewarded, and the works that were worthless will result in loss of reward. Um, Some can make the case that the judgment seat of Christ actually happens at the very beginning of the millennial kingdom. Um, I'm not going to go to the stake on that one. I, I tend to think it happens in heaven that makes more sense to me. You have the marriage supper of the Lamb. This is specific in my view is specific to the church um, to the church age um, following the judgment seat of Christ and before his second coming to the earth the marriage of the lamb will take place um, there are there are reasons to believe that that continues on the earth um, for potentially the next thousand years but we would see this primarily as the official consummation of your salvation that you are married to the lamb so to speak um, as the bride of Christ so uh, again there's plenty of room for our argument there with no, no bad feelings either way. At that point, you have the great tribulation. You have the tribulation, rather. Um, The tribulation is the seven-year period of judgment on earth following the rapture of the church. Um, Why do we take it as a literal seven years? Because the Bible does. um, It it names it in terms of seven years. It names it in terms of two sets of three and a half years. It names it in terms of two sets of 1260 days. Um, So, uh, any way you look at it, it divides it down into... Oh, and 42 months plus 42 months. So, it divides it literally... Down to years, months, uh, days. So, uh, any way you divide it, this is sometimes called the 70th week of Daniel, and begins when the um, and begins when Antichrist signs a treaty with Israel. Daniel 9:24 through 27. Now, I, I'm I'm going to assert that that at that point that Israel believes their Messiah has returned. And that all will be well. There's only one reason Israel would ever give credence to uh, sign a treaty with anybody. And that would be because they believe he is the chosen one. Um, Now, the debate is if Israel signs a treaty with someone, then that must mean he is a Gentile. Others say no Israel that's ever existed would ever sign a treaty with anyone except somebody who is a Jew. So... Um, The debates go both ways. I I don't think scripture addresses it particularly strongly. Um, The seven years is divided into two distinct parts, three and one half years each. The first part um, begins the tribulation. Uh, And I, I mix this up sometimes, I don't think it's a big deal. But we would be a little bit more technical by saying that the second half is the great tribulation. When the actual mega suffering on earth begins. Um, The first three and a half years of the tribulation um, will be marked by um, actually what from a worldly standpoint would be some good things. There will be peace in the Middle East for the first time in 3,000 years. Um, There will be uh, a a seeming good world order. Uh, I know that's a contradiction in terms. But from a worldly standpoint that is recently devoid of all Christians. They'll all think it's a great idea. And everybody will lock step with this and you think oh that could never happen you know covid just proved it can happen didn't it? it you have people who are who put their brains on a shelf just to follow because they've been taught since kindergarten public school they've been taught to follow the government and so so that's been that's been ingrained and you would think well not in america and we were kind of the worst Uh, In in a lot of ways, so um, this is why independent thinking, argumentation is so important. So, anybody, it used to be, well, no, you know, a a world order just sounds crazy. Nobody could do that. World leaders are calling for it now. It's it's happening, and so, um, oh no, the rapture here comes. No, um, we don't know. You're going to have three series of judgments. I, I can argue for potentially four you have uh, the seal judgments the trumpet judgments and the bowl judgments in the book of Revelation there are also a set of thunder judgments that are not listed it just says that something happens and so three for sure maybe four um, Basically, 80% of the world's population will be killed during this time um, through all these these judgments happening. And and at the same time, um, and this, this is just horrific to think about, at the same time, the oppression of the people of the earth by Antichrist going on. Jesus said in Matthew 24, If God didn't limit the length of the tribulation, no one would make it out alive. And so that 'll be a, a horrible time, and, and those that would um, would criticize a pre tribulational rapture, which we hold to that the rapture of the church happens prior to the tribulation, and they 'll sometimes say well you just don 't want to go through all that." Um, no (laughs) I don't Um, but that's not why we believe that Um, what we'll show here in a bit is that that uh, the wrath of God and persecution of the saints are two very different things and they need to be distinguished so then you have the second coming of Christ to earth this is just our our overview here again the tribulation ends when Christ comes in power and glory um, from heaven to earth and Just as a broad overview, five important events occur with the second coming of Christ. You have the judgment of the living Gentiles. They are evaluated to see whether they are allowed to enter the millennial kingdom. This is the judgment commonly called the sheep and goats judgment. Uh, the saved Gentiles the sheep are allowed to enter into Messiah's kingdom unsaved Gentiles goats are are cast into they're, they're killed and they are cast into uh, well we would say Hades hell will be filled at the end of the thousand years but they'll be cast into the same place that Luke 16 says that the, the rich man went so at that point um, when Christ returns and that judgment occurs um, the first thing that happens is that there will be no more unsaved gentiles on the earth. At that point they're all they're all dead. Then you have the judgment of living Israel. All the Jews that survived the great tribulation, they'll be evaluated to see whether they're allowed to enter the millennial kingdom. Um, that judgment is described in Matthew 25 in the parable of the ten virgins. Um, saved Israelites, called the wise, are allowed in, and unsaved Israelites, the foolish, are refused entrance into the, into the kingdom, and they are, they are executed as well. You have the resurrection then, and the rewarding of Old Testament saints and tribulation martyrs. Um, Revelation 24 through 6 this is actually a huge interpretive issue because there are so many um, that ta- there are two resurrections mentioned in Revelation 20 the first resurrection and the second resurrection and our all millennial brothers um, they can't explain their system without saying that the first resurrection is spiritual but the second one is physical so um, what, when we go through our millennial kingdom series I'll show you that that can't possibly be from, from good exegesis would show that they are both physical resurrections And then you have the binding of Satan. Revelation 20, 1 through 3. He's cast into the abyss and completely incapacitated for a thousand years. Again, another major issue. Um, We'll actually take a number of weeks just on the binding of Satan. Uh, There's a huge contingent of brothers in Christ that believe that Satan is bound today. And um, that's very difficult to prove from Scripture. Um, Ironically, they have one verse, and that is Revelation 20. and, And they have to believe that because they're backed into a system, backed into a, to a corner believing that either the kingdom is now or that there is no millennial kingdom and so they have to put Satan's binding somewhere so they put it now and then you have the actual establishing the setting up of the messianic kingdom which uh, by the way in the Old Testament there's even, there's even uh, passages that describe the cleanup of dead bodies from the tribulation and the, the rebuilding of cities and so forth At that point, you have the millennial kingdom of Jesus Christ. You have the the unconditional covenants will be fulfilled in their entirety. You have the Abrahamic covenant... Which ones did I list? You have the Abrahamic covenant, Davidic covenant, and the new covenant. I'm going to add the priestly covenant as well. Uh, The priestly covenant is God's covenant with Phineas and his, um, his descendants. Phineas defended Israel from her own debauchery and saved Israel from the judgment of God because he executed those that were... Uh, just overtly Rebelling against the Lord And God promised Phineas That, that your descendants will be priests Before me forever um, uh, One of his descendants is named Zadok And the sons of Zadok Will be the ones who attend the Millennial temple um, Which is a whole other topic for another time um, and, and he will Bring about uh, Help bring about an Israel In which they finally enjoy The covenant blessings that they missed out on In the Old Testament Um, They'll enjoy those. But all the great covenants are fulfilled. Um, Every promise made by God is accomplished. Israel in particular and the Gentiles in general will enjoy the blessings of Christ's rule. It will be a time characterized by righteousness, by peace, by joy. Uh, this is when all the swords are beaten into, into plowshares and there's, there's no more uh, there's no more war. It doesn't mean there's no more sin. There will still be descendants of those who survived the great tribulation who are sinners. But Christ will not allow war. He will not allow all the things that just overwhelm the earth right now. There will be unprecedented prosperity. There will be a measure of ecological renewal, uh, much longer life, the absence of disease, a rapid increase in population um, You'll have, uh, no longer will, will animals be tearing people up. And I know in Bakersfield, California, you think, well, I mean, I walked by a mean dog once. But um, around the world, there's still animals that, that go after humans. And um, I, I don't remember what the statistics are, but uh, the, apparently the rhinoceros is still the most dangerous animal on earth. And more humans are killed by it uh, every year than any other animal. Um, so, uh, I, I guess a shark week won't be a thing anymore um, at that point. Only believers will inhabit the kingdom. Over time, though, um, that will flip around until a thousand years later there's enough unbelievers on the earth to actually promulgate an entire rebellion one more time. And there are theological reasons for that, which we'll go over an, another time. Then you have, at that point... Oh, I missed the whole slide. Sorry about that. I'll, I'll go slow. You have the final judgments. After the millennial kingdom and before the final eternal kingdom begins, um, three judgments are going to take place. You have the final judgment of Satan and fallen angels. You have the great white throne judgment of all unbelievers. That is, that is the resurrection of all unbelievers um, to receive a, a body in which to experience the wrath of God. Um, there's, there's debate as to whether that body is then killed again and they experience the wrath of God only spiritually or whether that body is an eternal body that will be continually punished. I, I think the best argument is don't be that person. Um, don't be there. Um, whichever it is I, they can debate that amongst themselves for all eternity but um, there's the great white throne judgment uh, in my mind is, it's the most terrifying scene in the Bible because there's, there's no uh, in the Old Testament for example you have the great judgments of God but then you have chapters about but in the future I will there is no but in the future the great white throne judgment it is a period at the end of all things you have the, then the judgments of the heavens and the earth. Fire will remake the old heavens and the earth in preparation for the new heavens and new earth. Um, and that's a, that's a whole other debate I've talked about a couple of times and we'll get into it another time. Um, 2 Peter 3 as to whether or not the old things are completely obliterated and annihilated and new creation is brand new um, from nothing like original creation um, and, and that's a great argument um, unfortunately a closer look at 2 Peter 3 does doesn't hold, that doesn't hold up what holds up better is a melting down so that all sin is essentially burned away um, so to speak and a remaking from the original creation And I I strongly believe in that. Because God is not a God of destroying the old to make the new. God is a God of renewing the old, remade into something new. Um, That's that's the pattern of our resurrection bodies. Um, Our bodies aren't completely obliterated in order to be uh, totally recreated from nothing. We're resurrected, not recreated. Um, So... Uh, that's what happens there. Those are the three final judgments. And then we go to the eternal state. That God rules over the new heaven and new earth with our existence being on the new earth. And just a little side note here. Um, we know way, way more about the millennial kingdom from scripture than we do about the eternal state. And, and I, I, I don't know why that's, that was God's choice. But I really think that, um, that our, our main focus ought to be what happens next and Christ um, being redeemed as far as his reputation on the earth uh, I don't mean he needs redemption I mean his reputation is redeemed Um, we're going to look at this later this morning that the name of Christ will be known throughout the world and not in the sense of of lowly degradation and people sneering at him but in the sense of being exalted and lifted up so that's kind of a, a broad overview, and, and as much as it scares me to ask this, does anybody have any questions at this point? Because I know it's a big topic. Just broad questions. Does anybody have any? Yeah, Don. I know you said this was a, a topic for later on, but can you give in thirty seconds what's going to happen to the temple? There is, there's not one now, but there's going to be one. How does that fit into the first seven years, and then? So the way I understand it um, is that that a temple of some sort will be built. Um, during, at the beginning of the Great Tribulation. Um, because that's, that's, my guess is going to be part of the treaty, and, I, and I'm saying this clearly in my guess that part of the treaty Antichrist makes with Israel is that, because they can't build a temple right now because the, the Temple Mount is is, is blocked, there's, there's Muslims everywhere. Um, we went on a tour to Israel a while back, and our little group literally had rocks thrown at us by little kids when they heard the name Jesus. And these little six-year-olds were picking up rocks and throwing them at us while their instructor just sat there, um, because they heard the name Jesus. And uh, the, the tour guide later said, oh, I forgot, you don't say Jesus up here. And um, so th- so they can 't build a temple there right now, so so my guess is that there will be a temple there, and that that is part of the the, the treaty. You get a temple because we know they 'll start sacrificing again um, and uh, but at three and a half years, uh, Antichrist will ba- break treaty, so tribulation temple of some sort. Yeah, I, I think that's at least implied. Uh, a millennial temple is not implied. It is directly stated in about nine chapters of our Bible, um, Ezekiel forty through forty-eight. It's very clear. Um, there's dimensions. It's literally so detailed you could build it from. You could make blueprints from it. Um, and uh, the the temple will be the. Uh, the throne room of God on earth. It will be the place where the throne of God resides um, as well. Uh, who better to be in the real Holy of Holies than the Lord Jesus Christ himself? That will be his His throne. And, and there's, there's some de- debates there. But it will be a massive temple. Uh, a beautiful complex. And um, uh, yes... Animal sacrifices will be reinstituted. No, they do not replace the atonement of Christ. It's for totally different reasons. I'll give you the broad overview now. When we get to the Millennial Kingdom series, we'll go into it more deeply. Israel never experienced what it was like to live under 100% blessing of God. Um, They never experienced that. The millennial kingdom is a time for Israel to finally experience what it is to be a theocracy. A, a nation ruled by God and obeying every single law. And I'll throw this out also. Sacrifices, ready for this? Didn't just atone for people. Animal sacrifices never claim to save people. Ne- they never claimed that. Um, animal sacrifices also atoned for stuff and for events and um, for the nation as a whole. That f- that sacrifices were offered when all the bowls and all the altars and everything were consecrated to the Lord's use. So those those blood sacrifices have other purposes. So it's an oversimplification to simply say, well... Those millennial sacrifices can't be happening because Christ's uh, atonement is once and for all. Yes, Christ's atonement is once and for all. And God has a plan to reinstitute sacrifices. That, there's, there's one way for sure we know this. Um, there's at least one... Major holiday, Jewish holiday, that's making a comeback. That is the Feast of Booths. We know this from uh, Zechariah 14. Every nation will be required to celebrate the the Feast of Booths. And if they don't, then they don't get any rain. Um, That's speaking to later generations who will eventually rebel. We also know that the Sabbath day will be reinstituted. Um, And that's going to be a glorious thing. That's a wonderful thing. And, And again, it's not To be saved, Sabbath day was never to save anybody. The Sabbath is a sign of God's rest, Um, and and it won't be a a legalistic thing. It'll just simply be honestly what we ought to be doing now and treating the Lord's day like a Sabbath day. Not not to be saved, but because why not? Why why not take the pattern that God instituted in mankind um, to take one out of seven days and just rest and worship? Um, So so yeah there's going to be a cool temple I guess that was the 32nd version Um, (laughs) cool temple coming up so just sometime read Ezekiel 40 through 48 like like a novel just flip through it and just you'll be blown away and uh, and this thing is going to be, by the way, just uh, quite a bit bigger than Solomon's Temple, and and more ornate and glorious. And why shouldn't it be? Why shouldn't the Lord Jesus Christ have a center of worship on Earth that is just magnificent? That does everything. So, what other questions do you have? Just on the overview? Yes. I have a question regarding the establishment of the Messianic Kingdom. Yes. Christ comes back. Is that a pre Genesis three like? Version of the world because there is no sin. Uh, it, it won't be a pre Genesis three version. It'll be a on the way to pre Genesis three version um, because the when the kingdom is established, there will be two types of people. You'll have the remember we've had the rapture and the resurrection event all at once already. The so resurrected. Bodily saints are returning with Christ. Revelation 19 says this. So we return with him. We're, we're, we're fully resurrected, fully ready to go um, for eternity. Um, he will judge the living Gentiles, the living uh, Israelites, the living Jews. All the ones that are left living will then form the basis of a very quickly uh, repopulated earth. But they still carry a sin nature. Um, so those that are glorified will be ruling over those that are not glorified a lot of people have said that well if we're all if we're all reigning together you know when I'm reigning over my dog and you're reigning over your cat no there's there are the glorified and the yet to be glorified so uh, who do you want in charge you want glorified saints in charge that makes for a a perfect um, a a, a perfect society in terms of um, all things always being just so, uh, can you imagine even just like like a, a little mayor of a small town who's a glorified man will always make the right decision, will always do the right thing, will always be just? So, I would call it on the way to pre Genesis three. Yeah, good question. Yes, Nate. Um, how do you uh, reconcile the first Thessalonians resurrection, uh, living in the dead, and in Revelation twenty, where did you still have uh, resurrection of the old? Um they just not occur with the first Thessalonians resurrection? There's still some folks that will be yet to Yeah, that's that's how I would reconcile it. Um, the Lord in in, in uh, Daniel chapter twelve. Um, let me read the exact verse. <clears throat> right at the end of Daniel every time we do eschatology it's like an ordination exam (laughs) but I already have my job so yay Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Now at that time, Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people will stand. And there will be a time of distress such as never happened since there was a nation until that time. That's the great tribulation. Has to be the great tribulation. People have said, well, you know, bad things have happened. Yeah, except they keep getting worse. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued. I'm going to stop right there. The, at the very end of the great tribulation, this is where you see the Lord protecting his people. Um, protecting, uh, for, if I understand Zechariah um, correctly, out of all the Jews on the earth, one third of them will be protected. They will be, they will be kept. And this, is, this fits this Exactly. Verse 2, and many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake, these to everlasting life, but others to reproach and everlasting contempt. This places a Jewish Old Testament resurrection after the Great Tribulation. Um, and so uh, that would fit exactly with the, the timing of Revelation 20. We would take the rapture, the rapture and resurrection event um, as a church age event. So that's how I would take it. And there are nuances here. At the end, everybody gets a resurrection body who's saved. Um, but uh, there, are, there are, and we would stick in the, the tribulation saints' resurrection in Revelation 20 at the same time as well, because um, that's what Revelation 20 does. So I uh, hope that helps. Yeah, the, the, the rapture resurrection is a church age event. Yes? I just wanted to ask didn't understand we we're talking about that in the context of the tribulation or the millennial kingdom um, probably both it, they're, they're, they're prophesied for certain in the millennial kingdom but because uh, because Israel will make a treaty with antichrist Daniel chapter 9 um, that means that they'll be living in peace they'll be able to um, build their own temple and and Ostensibly, probably reinstitute those. They won't be pleasing to the Lord because this is not a saved Israel yet. Um, so uh, the Lord says in Isaiah that you know He hates the sacrifices of the unfaithful. So, uh, but as far as actually what's truly prophesied, it would be specific to the millennial kingdom. So, all right, shall we get even more controversial and move on to the rapture? <laughs> oh. Here's what is this slide? This is uh is this my overview? Let me see here. Oh, yeah, that's my overview. OK, so there's a we could have saved a lot of time. I could have just shown you this. <laughs> <coughs> Whoops. Oh, we're connected in two ways. OK, that's all right. I'll just look over here. Um, so here we have the church age. That's you. Yay. Christians. Um, uh raptory that's uh, Latin for rapture, when you can't squeeze it into a... <laughs> You have, uh, you have the rapture and the resurrection we meet Christ in the air First Thessalonians 4 the judgment seat of the Christ marriage of the Lamb the second D coming G um, <laughs> happens after the great tribulation which was has been happening here the judgment of the living happens when Christ and all of the resurrected saints return you have the millennium you have the judgment of the dead at that point they go to the lake of fire we go to eternity new heavens and new earth so there's my, my overview um So let's look now at the rapture, at least just for a few minutes. Wow, time flies when you're having fun. Oh, I've heard this a lot. Well, the term rapture is not in the Bible. The term Bible is not in the Bible. Um, The term Trinity is not in the Bible. And the term rapture is in the Bible. So don't say it's not in the Bible, it is a translation of a translation all it is. Um, The the term rapture comes from the Latin translation of the Greek word translated caught up in 1 Thessalonians 4.17. So yes, it's not in the Bible, you just don't know Latin or Greek, and that's fine. Um, Rapture is a a great word, and so we'll stick with it. Um, There are three major texts, Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.13-18, 1 1 Corinthians 15.51-57, and John 14.3. Uh, we do have examples of rapture in the Bible. And I didn't even give all of them here. Um, we have uh, Elijah, 2 Kings 2. Uh, we also have Enoch from uh, Genesis 5. Um, and, and confirmed in the book of Jude as well. Um, how about Jesus? He's a great illustration of rapture. There's, there's, uh, there's three that have happened already. And each in the same way. You have the two witnesses of Revelation 11. And then, of course, you have the promises of a coming rapture already in, uh, in 1 Thessalonians, 1 Corinthians, and John. What are the components of the rapture? You have the partial return of Christ. And this is where this drives our all-millennial brothers crazy. There can't be a partial return of Christ. Here's where the danger lies. When you've established your theological system already and a description of a biblical event doesn't fit your system, then you get freaked out by the description. All we're doing is describing. That's uh, that's what good theology does. It just describes. 1 Thessalonians 4 says that we will be caught up and we will meet Jesus in the air. Now... Um, we won't get into pre or post or mid-tribulational rapture at this point. But um, that's, just, that's just a description. And so when we say the partial return of Christ, it just means He didn't come all the way to the earth. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven with a shout. First Thessalonians 4.16 And Jesus said, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to Myself. John 14.3 why do we say that's, that's rapture that, that verse little trivia I've studied John 14.3 more than any verse in the New Testament and John 14.3 cannot be speaking of Christian death there's no other place in scripture that says that Jesus comes down out of heaven every time a believer dies um, in fact we already know that's not the case Stephen proved that that's not the case Jesus didn't move he stood up to receive Stephen which I think is incredible But that can't be Christian death. Okay, well, uh, Jesus is just returning. I'm millennial. Jesus is just going to return. That's the end of all things and that's it. Um, He says he goes away to his father's house. We're going to be taken to the place Jesus is now. Not the place Jesus will be. So really a simple uh, logical deduction makes John 14.3 can only mean one thing. Jesus descends, takes us to where he is, um, all who are still alive at that time. Then you have the resurrection of dead church saints. The dead in Christ shall rise first. Um, 1 Thessalonians 4.16 the dead will be raised imperishable, 1 Corinthians fifteen fifty two. And the, the big question is, why do the dead in Christ rise first? Um, in seminary, we were taught a deep theological reason for this, and that is that they have six feet farther to go, and so they get a little bit of a head start. That is an old, old joke that is required to tell a minimum of once every two years. But they're, they're raised first. I don't think it's going to be a... a, a a big dichotomy I think the whole thing happens at once what does that mean by the way Um, from a human standpoint not talking about spiritually but the most exciting place to be on planet earth during that time will be in the cemetery um, because that's going to be a, that's going to be crazy to see that actual bodies coming up out of the grave. You know that's why you know people have those concrete vaults. Like I want a styrofoam vault. I don't want to make this any any harder on the Lord than, than it has to be. And I used to seriously worry about that as a child because I believed in the rapture as a child and, and I, I didn't understand this. I said, what if i What if I'm in? I asked my dad, what if I'm at the bottom story of the Empire State Building? Am I going through every one of those floors? And I was. I was concerned about that. <laughs> then you have the translation of living believers. Then we who are alive and remain shall, shall be caught up. 1 Thessalonians 4.13 You have a glorious reunion. We shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. With whom? With those who have just been resurrected. To meet the Lord in the air. And thus we shall always be with the Lord. Jesus said in John 14:3, I will come that where I am there you may be also. That is clearly his father's house currently in heaven. You have a giving of glorified bodies. We shall be changed. For this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. 1 Corinthians 15:52 and 53, and Philippians 3, we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory. And what's the, what's the speed of the rapture? 1 Corinthians 15, 52, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. Now, that doesn't mean that it's instantaneous where you, you don't see it. in the old. We talked about this last time. The old clothes dropping to the ground kind of a thing. It, it means that once it starts, it's going. Um, this isn't an era. This is an event. And it'll happen in a matter of minutes. So, um, there we go. You know what? We'll save the fun of the timing of the rapture for next time. So, uh, it, worst case scenario is that you have to come back next time. Best case, it happens, and we don't worry about it. The timing is now. And that's that's what we'll say. All right. Well, let's pray, and we'll we'll pick this up here next time. Our Father, thank you for these. These are these are glorious, glorious thoughts. And to think that in the last minutes that you had with your disciples on this earth. In the upper room that you told them to not be afraid. To not worry. Because where you are, you would bring them to be. And you've promised, Lord, to bring us all home. And we look forward to our our intermediate heaven time, Lord. What a glorious day that will be. And then we look forward... To our resurrected bodies and to a, a kingdom on earth as it was meant to be. <laughs> So, Lord, I pray that these thoughts we've thought of this morning, that they they wouldn't just be esoteric intellectual thoughts, but they would be things that put a a bounce in our step and faith in our hearts and belief um, as we face days that are difficult and in some ways growing more difficult. We pray, Lord, that these are the thoughts that lead our, our hearts and minds heavenward as Colossians 3 commands us to do. We thank you and praise you in Christ's name. Amen.